The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy, please. Chapter 28 this time. As we have been instructed, we give attention to the reading of Scripture, and I take that to refer to the public reading of Scripture in the church, or at least include it for sure. Um, So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 28 this morning, and I'm just going to take the first half of the chapter roughly because this is a massive undertaking, this chapter. Uh, It's the blessings and the curses. This chapter is one that if you study the Bible for any length of time, you will go back to it again and again as it's reflected in the prophets and uh, even in the New Testament from time to time as well. So uh, Moses laid this all down in the 1400 BC or so and it was still relevant and important for them uh, hundreds and hundreds of years later. In fact, there's still a sense in which the curses kind of rest upon the nation of Israel yet because they are living in disobedience to the Lord and to his Messiah. Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God 
to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And here is the list of those curses, of those judgments, those punishments. Verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall be shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. That is interesting, isn't it? The plague, we spoke about the plague, the pestilence. God can use what is going on even in our own country now and the world as a judgment from him. Now, we don't know specifically about that in every case or every individual or just generally upon the society, but uh, we could certainly say we have not as a nation followed the ways and the will of our God. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. Verse 23, And your heavens which are over your heads shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. No rain for you. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. There's got to be some kind of prophecy there. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. And we're going to stop right there for now. We'll get, uh, unfortunately, as it were, more cursing next week in our Scripture reading section in the morning service. So uh, trust that you will take those words to heart and understand, too, that 
We've said many times here, but for the benefit of maybe somebody who hasn't heard, this is specifically related to the Mosaic Covenant. Promises of prosperity and promises of curse, on the one hand for obedience, on the other hand for disobedience, don't precisely apply to us today, but generally there is an application to those that follow the Lord. They will have an easier way of things. After all, the way of the wicked is like a bramble bush, isn't it? It's just trouble all the way up and down. So we leave that for your consideration this morning. I think Pastor Odell will have a few words to say about our Lord out of chapter 1 in, uh, in Revelation. So I'm looking forward to that. Hope you'll pay uh, good attention. And may God bless you, brother. We prayed for you and trust that uh, your ministry will just get into our hearts here. Amen. Thank you. Come along. By the way, do you want a glass of water? Uh, no, that's no, no water. Okay. And uh, don't hesitate to go to about 12.10 or so. If you go after that, people will start feeling antsy and all that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you heard my wife laugh at that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it doesn't? <laughs> uh, before I uh, you can turn to Revelation chapter 1 because that's where we'll be this morning but uh, before I get to that uh, just two or three things um, unrelated to the message for those of you who do not know me well I should explain to you that I only pick on people that I really, really like. If I don't like you, I basically don't kid with you at all. So no need to run up to Thurman and say, you should have heard what Odell said about you in Sunday school. (laughs) He's a dear friend of mine, and I feel at ease picking on him. So. Your dad was the first. Uh, It's always a joy for my wife and I to be here. We feel like this is a second home to us here. You always make us feel so welcome. And one of the things that we love to hear so often as we come here is we've been praying for you. And I know you have. And I can tell you that God answers prayer. And I just I wish I could have time just to sit down and with you and just explain all the answers to prayer, your prayers that God has answered on our behalf. I mean, just uh, God is indeed on the throne and he does indeed answer prayer. Um, I understand what your pastor was saying this morning, and uh, I, I agree with him about Deuteronomy. However, as I read uh, verse 28 The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And I listen to Fox News and the politicians being interviewed. Sounds pretty specific to me. But uh, that aside, that aside, uh, Revelation chapter 1. We live in a time when things are happening so rapidly. Uh, There's a a lady on the radio, her name is Jan Markell, 
and she has what is called the Olive Tree Ministries, and she has a radio program on, a weekly radio program. It's called Understanding the Times. And she has authors and preachers and, and prophecy teachers come in, and she interviews them on the radio. That's basically her ministry. And over the last uh, several months, in her newsletter that she sends out uh, five different times, uh, the title of her newsletter for that month is, I Never Thought I'd See the Day. And she has a whole list of things that she points out that she never thought she would see the day that those things would happen. And most of those I agree with. I never thought I'd see the day. We live in chaotic times. We live in troubling times. And the sad thing is that often it's believers who are troubled, and they ought not to be. And uh, I mentioned this morning before Sunday school that my theme for this morning, Sunday school and morning service, is the relevance of Revelation. And I want to look at uh, Revelation chapter 1 this morning. Now, uh, we're not going to have time to really cover it all. But I want to look at it from a very specific vantage point. And that is from the vantage point of what does Revelation chapter 1 say to us about how we can cope with the troubling times that we're living in. Now, the the truth of the matter is, uh, and Thurman can tell you this, uh, my wife certainly can tell you this, I always run out of time before I'm done preaching, and I'm afraid that's going to happen this morning. So what I want to do is I want to touch on five points that I want to elaborate on, and I'll just go over the five points, and then I'll go back and begin to elaborate on them, and if I don't get through all of them, uh, at least you'll know what the points are. So you understand where I'm coming from here? So let me start by reading... Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, that will be basically our basis and our starting point uh, for our consideration this morning. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, And then I also want to skip down uh, just uh, a few verses uh, where John has now had an encounter uh, with the Lord. And uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked on rabbit trails here, but Uh, I use the word encounter because we often hear the word vision, that John had these visions, and I understand that, but it seems to me that he experienced these things. It was more than just a vision. It wasn't just a dream. And it wasn't just a dream that he had about the Lord. It was an actual meeting of the Lord. And what what is amazing is that when you know the story of John in his relationship to the Lord, he was... Uh, probably the youngest of the apostles that the Lord chose to follow him. 
during his earthly ministry. Uh, he was a changed young man. In the beginning, he, was, uh, he and his brother were known as the th- Sons of Thunder. Uh, evidently had a quick temper. Uh, and, uh, but, but he became known as the one that Jesus loved. In fact, that was, that's basically one of his favorite titles for himself, the one that Jesus loved. I think that wasn't a, a brag on his part. I think it was a testimony of amazement. I personally think, and and if you were in Sunday school this morning, you know that if you're listening, and I say I think, you take this with a grain of sand, but this is my opinion. I personally think that that, uh, John's life was so changed in the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he was amazed that the Lord would love him the way that the Lord loved him. And that's why he just... Out of amazement, keeps referring to himself as the one that Jesus loved. He was one of the three closest of the apostles to the Lord, Peter, James, and John. Uh, often when the Lord would take the three aside uh, from the other apostles and have a little more intimate fellowship and instruction for them. One of those occasions was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were there. They they didn't get a full view of what the glorified Christ was. There was a cloud there, but they got at least a glimpse of what he was. And John was there at that point. But now here in Revelation chapter 1, John sees the glorified Christ clearly. And in verse 17... Uh, This is pretty amazing. Verse 17, John writes, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now, that's the impact of uh, this encounter that the Apostle John had with the Lord. And I think today, basically in so many congregations, We've lost the reverence for the Lord and the awe of the Lord that we ought to have. We make him common. And I think that's a real mistake. Because he's more than just a common friend of us. He is our friend, but he's more than that, so much more. And, and John, especially, being as close to the Lord as he was was so awestrucken that he fell at the Lord's feet as though dead. But here's the beautiful thing. Verse 17 goes on to say, But he, that is the Lord, laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Do not be afraid. Uh, I haven't, in all honesty, taken the time to count them all. But I believe, and my impression is, that fear not and its variations are probably the most often repeated command in the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord is saying often, fear not, fear not, fear not. That's a message for you and I today. As our world seems to be crumbling around us, we as... God's people 
don't need to fear. So uh, these are the two texts that will be the basis of our study. We'll look at a lot of other uh, references as well this morning. But I want to just take just a moment and based on these two texts, point out five things that we need to have firmly grounded in our heart and our mind that will help us navigate these chaotic times in which we live. Number one, in verse nine, John speaks as being the brother of those believers that he is writing to. So John is a Christian writing to a Christian. And that reminds me that we need to be born again if we are going to navigate, if we're going to be able to cope in these chaotic times. We have a hope that the unbeliever doesn't have. We have an anchor for the soul that the unbeliever doesn't have. We need to be born again. Then I also notice that John mentions that he is their fellow companion in tribulation. And uh, I remind you of briefly what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. That there's coming a day when there is going to be what the Bible calls the great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. It is the tribulation period. Some people get the mistaken idea that if we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, we believe that we're going to escape all trouble in life, and that is simply not the case. Jesus himself said before he was crucified in John chapter 16, in this world ye will have tribulation. Now some manuscripts uh, leave out the word will and just say ye have tribulation. And, and that is certainly true. And, I, and in believing in a pre-tribulation rapture, that does not in any way in my mind minimize my empathy for those who are going through tribulation. When we're going through tribulation, I know it's painful and it's hard and it's difficult. But God gives us the resources that the world does not have to get through those periods of tribulation. But those, I don't want for a minute to suggest that those don't mean anything and that they aren't painful and that they aren't difficult. Peter, as he talks about it, he says in, as it is translated in the old King James Version and uh, you'll have to excuse me when I quote from memory. I usually quote that version because that's what I use all the time. But uh, Peter talks about uh, when we are in uh, manifold temptations, uh, that it's because it's necessary that we are in heaviness for a time through our manifold temptations. And I don't want to take away from that. If you're, if you're going through hard times, I don't want to sound this morning as though, hey, you're not going through anything at all. It's just all in your head. It may be in your head, but it's probably in a lot of other places in your being as well. 
But uh, one of the things that will help us to get through those times of tribulation, and, and I believe that as as John writes what the Lord revealed to him in the book of Revelation, he's saying to them, we need to see Jesus as he is. That will give us the strength to get through our tribulation. And we'll come back and elaborate more on that as we go along. But we need to be Christians. We need to be born again. We need to see Jesus as he is in our time of tribulation. Uh, a third point that uh, we want to see, he mentions here that he is a companion with them in the kingdom. He doesn't elaborate a lot about that. The way I look at that, he's suggesting to them that we are, as Peter says, pilgrim and strange pilgrims and strangers in this world we're just passing through we sing that chorus this world is not my home I'm just a passing through the reality is that uh, John and the Apostle Paul both write somewhat about this and and they point out to us in their various places where they touch on it that we have a dual citizenship uh, Romans chapter 13 in particular says that uh, where it does not conflict with God's command for us, we're to be obedient and submissive to our earthly government officials. We ought to be good citizens of this earth. But we have a higher responsibility and calling, and that is our citizenship in heaven. That we are citizens of the kingdom of God's dear son, as uh, the Lord puts it in the book of Colossians. He is our ultimate ruler. I, I really don't want to burst the bubble of anybody at all, especially in this season where we'll be hearing a lot about the confirming of a, or not confirming of a, Justice to the Supreme Court. But the truth is, those nine black-robed members of what we call the Supreme Court aren't the Supreme Court. Our Supreme Court is in heaven and is coming to earth and establish its seat here on earth in the days thereof. And so as I look at this chaotic world, I need to recognize that I must pledge my allegiance to my heavenly kingdom. The truth of the matter is, on November the 3rd, I will not be voting for President Trump or for the former vice president. Biden, I'll be voting the Bible. Now, whichever candidate is closest to the Bible, that's where I'll put my earthly vote to. But I'll be voting the principles of this word because this is the law of my life. The fact of the matter is that 
yesterday there was a big rally in Washington, actually Friday and yesterday, uh, entitled Return. I'm not disparaging the intent of those who gathered for that, but there is a word of caution that I think is, is well worth considering, and that is our mission is not to save America. Our mission is to do what God says is right, whether it's popular or whether it's not. Because our highest priority is to live for him and give him preeminence in our life. Now, as I think about this kingdom, uh, I, I am aware that Romans chapter 13 uh, tells us that those who are in authority are there because God puts them there. And I think I've discovered, I think I've discovered, and that's a clue, by the way. Take this as a grain of salt. I think I've discovered why God put President Trump in office here in America. And that's because the rapture is going to occur on November the 3rd. And you wonder why I believe that. First Corinthians chapter 15 says that the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise. I think that's what it means. But Should I be joking in the pulpit? Does your pastor do that? I'm just being, just being facetious. You know that. But uh, we need to pledge our allegiance to our heavenly kingdom. Number four, as we navigate these chaotic times, Uh, John mentions that he is a companion with them in their patience. Uh, I think Vincent has started using the ESV now. And if you look read the ESV, it says patient endurance, which is a good translation of that. And the fact is that Uh, In these chaotic times, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need patient endurance. What we need, we need to live by faith and not by fear. And that keeps us going on. And that brings us then to the fifth thing. Again, uh, we are not to be afraid. Uh, Jesus put his hand on John and said, don't be afraid. And there are a lot of Christians today who are very fearful in these times. A lot of Christians who are fearful because of the so-called pandemic that has hit us. Uh, Fearful because of the election. Uh, Some are deeply troubled if on November the 3rd or the days thereafter that the votes are being counted. If that candidate whose name comes first in the alphabet is actually elected, people are really troubled that America is going to fall apart. I've got news for you. America is going to fall apart no matter what. Because we're coming to that time where our rebellion 
I believe is going to catch up with us. And is already, I believe, in place. You can call it natural disaster if you want. I like what many people call it, an act of God. I don't think it's a coincidence that the most ungodly and liberal area of this nation over the last several weeks has been burning like it's never burnt before, literally. I'm not saying that that means that uh, we're in the end times. But I do believe that it's God's way of saying to us, wake up, look to me, stop rebelling. Uh, I need to be careful how far I go here. Because I've got a lot of other things we've got to cover this morning. But hopefully you aren't. Well, I don't know. If I hear that shout, I'm going up. I don't know about you. So regardless of what time it is. Uh, and, and, and I want to be careful this morning because I don't want to give you the impression that I believe, as some prophecy teachers do, that we interpret the Bible by the events that are happening in our world today. We use the Bible to interpret what's going on in our world today. Uh, I see the Abraham Accord. And I don't say, oh, that is the peace accord that the Antichrist is going to sign and then try to squeeze the Bible into the Abrahamic Accord. But I do believe that God is setting the stage for what's coming. And I believe that's part of it. If you see if you see the nations like Russia and Turkey and Iran who are now coming together, Ezekiel chapter 38 talks about those nations as the horde from the north who are coming against Israel. I see all of that beginning to to take place. Now, I also caution my God doesn't live in a box of my making. And while I see these things as stage setting, God can always reset the stage. He's not limited to what I perceive in life. The fact of the matter is that uh, God can do anything He wants to do. But He's told us in His Word that all of the signs are for the tribulation period, not for the rapture. And I want to be clear, I don't want to be misunderstood on that. But I do see a foreshadowing of the things that will be in place in the tribulation period. For instance, Israel will be a nation with a rebuilt temple in the tribulation period. That doesn't have to happen before the rapture occurs. The rapture is an imminent event. It can happen at any moment. It can happen before I'm done preaching. But the fact of the matter is that what I see now are things that are preparing the way. Israel has come together as a nation again. 
the temple institute in in Israel has all of the pieces of furniture remade according to the description in the Old Testament, except for the Ark of the Covenant. They even have uh, red heifers that they believe fit the description of the red heifers that are necessary for the purification of the priest and the temple. They're ready to go. They could build that new temple in no time at all. Uh, So what I'm saying is that the sign that God gave us is for the tribulation period after the Antichrist comes and confirms the peace treaty for seven years. But we see the preparation for that now, the birth pangs for that, if you say, if you might say. The birth, birth pangs, any of the women here this morning who have given birth know what we're talking about and those husbands that are here that have children. The birth pangs start off and they grow in frequency and intensity to the moment of birth. And we begin to see these things growing in frequency and intensity. The signs are for after the rapture. Nothing has to happen before the rapture can occur. But we see those things coming into place now. But how do we deal with it? How do we cope with it? Well, let's go back and let's try to look at some of these things. Number one, we must be born again. We mentioned in uh, Sunday school this morning, if you weren't here, that We need to be born again before we can even understand the book of Revelation, really appreciate it. And the fact is that uh, we who are born again are the ones to whom the book of Revelation was actually given primarily. Unbelievers can gain from it, but they're never going to fully appreciate it. And it was not primarily given to unbelievers. It was given to believers to give us hope and encouragement. In fact, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that has in it a stated blessing for reading it, hearing it, and heeding it, or keeping it, or obeying it. In fact, that blessing is given twice in the book of Revelation, once in the beginning and once in the end. Blessed are they. First of all, uh, your pastor was correct this morning, and I agree wholehearted with that the original intent of that blessing is he that reads was talking about the leader of the congregation who would read and give uh, the interpretation, uh, help with the understanding. They that hear, that's talking primarily and initially about the congregation itself. But I think it also suggests that there is a personal blessing for studying the book of Revelation. And there's a corporate blessing for the church for studying. But whether personal or corporate, all of us are bound by the fact that we need to heed. It isn't just enough to read it and hear it. We need to heed it. In fact, everywhere that I am aware of, 
in the New Testament, particularly where it talks about the second coming, it always ends up with an exhortation that it ought to affect the way we live. I don't think it's I don't think that it's any coincidence at all that the Apostle Paul, as he reaches the end of his life and and he's looking forward to that time when the Lord will take him home, he says to Timothy that there's waiting for him a crown of righteousness. But that crown of righteousness is not for him only, but it's for all of those who love the Lord's appearing. Now, I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence. Why would the Lord give a crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing other than the fact that those who love his appearing, their lives are going to be affected by that. And they're going to live lives of obedience to the Lord and try to be ready. A number of years ago, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. And she and my father-in-law went out to California and she was going to cross over into the border into Mexico and get treatments there that were not uh, approved here in the United States uh, for cancer. The the treatments uh, were for cancer. But not only did my mother-in-law and father-in-law go, go, but their girls went with them, including my wife. And my wife announced to me one day, "I'm, I'm going to California with mom and dad while she's going through the treatments. She'll say, she said, I'll call you when I'm uh, ready to come home and you can drive out to Davenport and pick me up and bring me home. Uh, so I knew that, uh, now I shouldn't give the wrong impression, we ca- talked on the phone several times during a three-week period, but I knew that one of those calls was going to be, I'm on my way home, come and pick me up. When I got that call, I knew I had uh, some time before I had to be in Davenport to pick her up. And uh, in that period of time, every dish was washed, every counter was cleared off, and every bed was made. And uh, when my wife came home, you would have thought that uh, I was the perfect housekeeper for three weeks. If she had been there any earlier, she'd have been... uh, Not surprised at all, but uh, probably disappointed. Now, if she had said to me, I don't know when I'm coming back. You just be ready, because sometime I'm going to give a call and you come pick me up. The house would have looked a whole lot different in three weeks than what it really did. First John tells us that we don't know what we will be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And then John goes on to say in his first epistle, those who have this hope purify themselves. There's an effect to it. Um Peter, as he writes in his second epistle, chapter 3, talks about there are going to be scoffers who deny the coming of the Lord. And then he says, uh, seeing that these things will be, what manner of people ought we to be? 
over and over again in the scripture when we realize that the rapture is imminent. That's an incentive for us to be ready. In fact, the Lord says over and over again to us, be ready. You don't know the day or the hour, so be ready at any moment. It means keep your lives in order. And that's what we need to do as we face these chaotic times. We need to be ready for the Lord to come. We need to be born again. We're not ready if we're not born again. If we're not saved, we need to be born again. We need to see Jesus as he is. Oh, I, 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 I wish. You said ten minutes after one. Was that right? You think so? <laughs> Good. Glad you're We need to see Jesus as he really is. Our, our perspective of life is, has everything to do with, with how we uh, live our life. And uh, your pastor several months ago, uh, when you weren't having services here, uh, live streamed um, from home some Bible studies. And uh, he had an excellent Bible study on Psalm 13. And you may remember that. Uh, and just by way of a little bit of review here, the uh, first two verses in Psalm 13, uh, David asked the question, how long? How long? First of all, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Secondly, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Thirdly, he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Fourthly, he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? One of the things that I see in these four questions, because these are misguided questions, they come from a wrong perspective. But they come from a perspective that often we use as we look at life. And, and even in our world today, as we look at the Events of our world today, how we look at it. Uh, verse, or verse one, question one, how long will you forget me? Uh, where it seems as though David is looking at God through the lens of his ego. It's all about me. What about me, Lord? How long do I have to go through this? But the fact is that instead of me, it's all about him. Instead of my will and what I want and what I think uh, ought to be done, it's all about His will, what He wants to be done in life, and how I'm to be obedient to Him. I'm to look at life from the lens of His perspective. I'm not to look at Him from life's perspective. So many people say, say well, the Lord doesn't love me and doesn't care about me. Why? They're looking at Him through the lens of their troubles and their trials. But if they look at their troubles and their trials through the lens of our loving and gracious, omnipotent Lord, they realize He's promised, I can get through this. One way or another, I'll get through this. Uh, I can remember uh, years ago, in our church in Dexter, there were five 
people who had serious illnesses and and we had them on our prayer list and we were praying for them. All five of them went to be with the Lord. A sixth person came along and said, Pastor, would you put me on the prayer list? Uh, I've got this illness. My daughter, who was just a little girl at the time, said, Daddy, maybe we not, ought not to pray for them. Everybody we pray for dies. From her young perspective, what she doesn't realize is the minute they were taken to heaven, our prayers were answered. Our prayer was for their healing. Full healing doesn't come until God takes us home. So in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks even about those who will be saved during the time of Revelation and they will be martyred for their death and we think how terrible. No, how wonderful! Because they go immediately to be with the Lord. The fact of the matter is we need a right perspective and we need to see Jesus as He really is. Oh, I, I have already run out of time and I haven't even gotten started here this morning. But the, the truth of the matter is that here in Revelation, you have a cornerstone scripture on the Trinity. We see the deed of, of Christ so clearly here in Revelation uh, chapter 1, uh, we see uh, John, as he talks about the one who is and who was and who is to come, and when he first talks about that, he's t- talking about God the Father. That's really a definition of what the Lord meant back in the book of Exodus when he told uh, Moses, I am Tell them, I am has sent you. He was, he is, and he is to come. The eternal God, ever the same, never changing. Then it talks about the seven spirits. That's not talking about seven separate spirits. It's talking about the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you find the definition of that in Isaiah chapter 11 in verse 2. And it's interesting in light of what we looked at this morning about how we understand the book of Revelation that many of those characteristics that Isaiah talks about in chapter 11 and verse 2 have to do with he being the spirit of knowledge and understanding. That's a big part of his ministry in our lives today. The illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then, he, and then John talks about Jesus Christ. The third member, actually the second member of the Trinity, but listed third here in First John. Then just shortly after that, it is repeated a couple of times, I was, I am, and I am to come. But this time it's talking about Jesus. What's that telling us? That is telling us that our Savior is the eternal God in the flesh. We see it over and over. In the book of Revelation. We need to see him as he is. We need to. One of the things that you will find is that throughout the book of Revelation, as people are encountered by the Lord, they fall down and worship him. It isn't just John. It's the elders. It's the multitudes. It's the it's the angels. They fall down and worship him because he is worthy of all 
praise. One of the things that most people don't understand uh, and don't realize, uh, if you get too caught up in the trees and we don't get a picture of the forest uh, of the book of Revelation, but if you step back and kind of go through the book of Revelation, it's amazing how often you see doxologies and songs of praise sung in the book of Revelation. And what's interesting is that many of those songs, we're familiar with the ones in heaven in chapters 4 and 5, but the fact is that we're going to be singing songs of praise during the times of the tribulation. Thirteen different times by my count. I may be off one or two there. Thirteen times by my count we have a song of praise to the Lord and worship of the Lord. And some of those are in the time of tribulation on earth. What's that mean? The tribulation is not something that ought to scare us if we are believers. Now, it it ought to be something that motivates us to be evangelistic and reach out to the lost and and save as many as we can. I have often said that uh, I'm not so concerned about future here on this life as we get closer to the rapture and the tribulation and the Lord continues to set the stage. I'm not so concerned about myself because at my age, you might say I'm standing on the bank of the river looking on the other side. Not going to be that long. But in the past, I've said often, I worry about my grandkids and what they're going to have to go through once I'm gone. But I've stopped saying that. Because I, I've become so convinced that the Lord's return is so near. And every one of my children and grandchildren have expressed a faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. They're going to be gone too. They're not going to have to go through it. And I was sharing that with a woman in our church uh, just recently. And she said, well, uh, I, I don't look at it that way because I have a wayward daughter that I'm broken hearted over. And if the Lord comes... I'm fearful that she won't be taken and she'll be left behind and all of that. And I can understand that. And that ought to be the burden of all of our hearts. Maybe not our family members, but our lost neighbors and those we come in contact with. Now, this may not be the best track or pamphlet, but it is one that has been used and I've seen it used. I've known people who've been led to the Lord by it, but it's called the Tribulation Map. It's, it's put out by Bible Believers Evangelistic Association. But on the front, it says, an explanation for those who miss the rapture. It would be good to have things like this sitting around on our table because there's going to come a day when we're gone and people are going to wonder why we're not paying our taxes, our rent, uh, and what have you. And they're going to come checking on us and they're going to wonder where in the world are we gone. And they may pick this up and read it. And they may be one of the ones that accept the Lord as Savior during the tribulation period. We ought to have an evangelistic heart. Not wait to the tribulation period and not wait just to lift, lay literature around. But now, giving witness and testimony, being faithful witnesses. And there is one thing 
that I will not miss at all when we are raptured and enter into our eternal fellowship with the Father. And that's clocks. Oh, how I hate clocks. I have to close now. Father, we thank Thee for Your love to us. Oh, Lord, uh, there's such depth of material here that we didn't even begin to scratch the surface just on these five different points that will help us. And I pray that You would lay it upon the hearts of everyone who is here and those who may be listening by live stream or later by YouTube to get into the book of Revelation on their own and begin to really dig into its truths. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up to them the wonders of this blessed book and the blessings that are in store for us when we live and heed its teachings. And oh Lord, All I can say from a personal basis is Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.